0: anniversary, our week-long celebration honoring three years of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It only seems like ten. Throughout this this week, we're saluting the 80th anniversary of Marvel Comics number one. This landmark issue featured the introduction of the longest-running fire- and water-based characters, the Human Torch and Namor, the Submariner. I'm one of your hosts, Rascally Rob Kelly, and with me, as always, is my fellow member of the all-winner squad, the invincible, irredeemable Shag. Hello, Shag.
1: Hello! Thanks for having me here.
0: <laughs> As if I had a choice. Right, exactly. Uh, today, we're, today, we're going to cover the third story of Marvel Comics number one, simply entitled The Submariner by Bill Everett. So, Shag, what is your experience with uh, Namor, the Submariner?
1: Uh, believe it or not, I discovered him, I guess, in comics before I did Aquaman. Now, I, I knew Aquaman from the Super Friends, of course. Of course. But when it came to comics, I stumbled across the Namor miniseries from 1984. And I guess it was Prince Namor the Submarine. I think is what it was called. Either way, I found him at my little local con- convenience store, which is where I bought all my comics, and I just thought it looked awesome. He's Namor. He's fighting underwater monsters. He's got a Trident. He just looks awesome. He's got this flat head, and I really enjoyed the heck out of that. And I used to sit at the bottom of swimming pools like my friend's pool and pretend I was Namor. <laughs> it come bursting out of the water. Now, a couple years later, I would do the same thing and pretend I was Aquaman. But at that point, I loved Namor before I did Aquaman. It came out 18 months before I bought my first Aquaman comic. So, uh, sorry, Rob, don't take it personal or anything.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it happens. I mean, as as we all know that uh, Aquaman came out after Namor. Namor debuted in 1939. Aquaman came out in 1941. Uh, Rip off! Right. I mean, there's always this thing of like, well, was it just their version? And I'm betting that it was. I'm thinking that, you know, comic books were exploding, superhero comics specifically, uh, after Superman debuted. And I'm sure that all the companies just started you know, figuring out, OK, we got to have a guy that flies. We got to have a, a, you know, like a, 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 our, uh, our star spangled hero. We got to have like a Superman. We got to have a muscle guy. Well, I'm sure they uh, we got to have like a water guy. So I'm sure that the DC went to Mort Weinzinger and was like, look, we just need you now. Did they maybe so expressly say we need a version of Namor? Maybe not that far, but I'm sure the idea was, look, we need a water guy. Marvel has a water guy. We need a water guy. So, you know, what the hell? Now, of course, we could always argue that that Aquaman has since surpassed Namor in terms of pop culture identity uh, because Namor has never really been that popular outside of the comics. And we can get to that a little bit later on. But nevertheless, yes, Namor did come first.
1: Yep. Fair enough. So, so that was my familiar, familiarity was there. I also had some reprints of Tales to Astonish, which were reprinting his old original series, which was great. Love those. Um, in fact, I, I I ripped the cover, so I remember very distinctly taping it together with cloth tape because it's the only tape I could find. So <laughs> it's weird stories from your childhood, anyway. But so yeah, I um I really dug Namor, and I I followed him all the way into the nineteen ninety series that John Byrne did. I really enjoyed the hell out of that. So uh, I would consider myself a. Uh, passing fan of Namor If I see him in a comic It's enough to make me stop And go oh Maybe I'll read that I understand that um, One of my favorite comics Of all time is a Namor story We'll get to
0: that though After, after we talk about the, the story in question And as I said The story is simply called The Submariner uh, And it's about a diver From a salvage vessel Finds a wrecked ship's safe Empty And he just recently Dropped a knife From the shipwreck's deck the captain orders him back down to investigate with another diver. They are searching the wreckage when they are attacked by Namor, the submariner. He brutally <gasps> yes, he brutally attacks both men, stabbing one and crushing the diving helmet of the other.
1: That is crazy.
0: Namor then turns his attention to the ship, wrecking the propeller and running it aground. He heads back to his underwater home where he is greeted by the Holy One, who commends him on his attack against the humans. Namor brings the bodies of the two divers as trophies. His mother, Fenn, congratulates him on beginning his war of revenge in such a decisive manner. Neymar asks her why their people hate the Earthmen so much. She explains that in the year 1920, a research vessel called the Oracle had journeyed to Antarctica and was doing experiments with explosives that killed many of their fellow citizens. Since Fenn looked more like a human, she was sent to find out more about what was going on. She fell in love with Commander Leonard Mackenzie and became pregnant. She learned their language and sent back messages to the undersea army that the white men were too strong for them, but they sent an army to fight those invaders anyway. The white men's bombardment annihilated most of their race, and now, 20 years later, they are ready once again to press an attack against the surface dwellers, and Namor will begin this war. Later, Namor takes his cousin Dorma with him to Cape Anna Lighthouse. Once there, they attack the guard and wreak havoc on the controls and equipment, hoping to destroy some of the ships They use its beacon for safety. Some naval men arrive, and in order to escape, Namor and Dorma hijack a plane, which flies nearby. Submariner commands Dorma to wreck the plane and swim back home as Namor continues his crusade against the white man. <laughs> 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 to be continued. Oh, boy. Uh, so, Shag, what did you think of this?
1: <laughs> this thing is wild. Um, it's uh, first off the art. I got to say, it is like nothing else in this book. I, Bill Everett's style grabbed me immediately from that first page where um, he's got Aquaman swimming down to grab a chest, and it's actually got he's Bill got Everett's who? signature. He's on got there.
0: who dropping down? A oh chest? my
1: gosh! Did I say Aquaman? <laughs> did I really? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, my mistake. I'm sorry. It's got Namor swimming down to the chest. It's got Bill Everett's name signed on there. Everything and the way like. The guy who's got the cap on his, his hat is askew. He's lighting a cigarette. The next page, the guy's scratching his forehead while he lifts the cap off. I, I just felt like this was illustration, like where I felt the human torch story we covered a couple days ago was, you know, it was art. It was fine. It was comic booky art. This feels like an illustration to me. Like this was this really impressed me from the art perspective. They kind of look
0: like woodcuts. They have this okay, very yeah. woodcutty style, and uh, and we you, we can talk a little bit about the coloring is different in every iteration of this story. Okay. Now, the version that I'm looking at, um, it has this kind of wash coloring to it where it has these sort of like weird mixed tones. It's very unusual for even a comic book today. Well, maybe not today with all the digital coloring. But I, considering how the cruddy paper comic books are printed on for the longest time, I'm kind of amazed that they would even try to get this sort of detailed with the coloring and the – the, the ink lines, because I would think it would not reproduce very well.
1: Well, go to page three, if you don't mind, the third page of the story. It's, it's got the diver going underwater, right, yeah. Yeah, and, and Namor's underwater. And there's some really interesting underwater effects. Like, they really, again, this is, you know, some of the earliest comic books. They were still trying to figure out how things would be displayed. Uh, we know now, you know, thought balloons will be a certain look a certain way, and this will look a certain way. Either way, they're trying to figure out how to make underwater looks. So they used a lot of horizontal lines. And I've got three different versions of this comic in front of me. I have got the, ver- the scans that we looked at, you know, that you and I are sharing. I've got the version on Marvel Unlimited, and I've got the hardcover, the 50th anniversary hardcover. All three of them are, especially this page, are wildly colored differently. The scans that you and I looked like, it almost looks like someone colored it in crayon. Um, the, 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 the coloring is so thick. Namor is flesh colored and has brown hair. In these other two versions I have, Namor is actually colored blue with red hair. And uh, the, my favorite of all of them is the version on Marvel Unlimited. The underwater scenes are just beautiful. The way they've just got these purples and greens and and, and mauves and all these different various colors to show you the underwaterness—it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And what I'll do is on our gallery post, I'll post uh, this page from all three of them, so you can see side by side what I'm talking about. But uh, I, I find at least the the digital one on Marvel Unlimited. And and you know, the question is, which one's the most faithful? I wonder. You know? Right. Right. I don't know at this point. <laughs> Exactly, I have no idea. So, uh, but yeah, the coloring's interesting. And um, so, also later on, when when I, when Namor talking to his mother, uh, he's in the version here. He's what blue? I think at that point, uh, if I if I remember right, the version that you and I were both sharing. He's kind of like was... a gray kind of okay. thing. Yeah, and, and then the next page, he's flesh colored. It just keeps changing back yeah. and forth and back and forth. Well, again, in the in the in the hardcover, he's this the consistent dark blue, and and then here in the digital version, he turns green. So I don't know what's going on with that, but we should talk about his mom because his mom's got it going on. Let me tell you, uh, his mom's pretty freaking hot. She looks to me like a golden age actress. And you know your golden age actress is a lot better than me. But is is it – like her face really looks representative of a famous actress. And I, and I Googled a little bit. Basically, I started with golden age actress and eyebrows is what I Googled. Um, is it Marlene Dietrich maybe or a Lauren Bacall that she looks like? Um,
0: I, I – I... I kind of see what you're saying about Lauren Bacall, but this was before Lauren Bacall was famous. So it wouldn't oh, really? have been. Wow. Yeah, this is this is 39. Lauren Bacall didn't uh, start appearing in movies until 41. Uh, I'm betting that Marlena Dietrich or even Greta Garbo uh, might be a better, uh, okay. better inspiration at least because she has kind of a vamp sort of look to her. She actually looks not too dissimilar from some silent film actresses, which I wouldn't surprise me because the silence were still a thing not that long before nineteen thirty nine and Bill Everett would have been familiar with those movies, so I could see that a little bit more as an inspiration it's, it is very distinct looking there's no no doubt about it
1: yeah, well, stepping away from the art, the story <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know how to frame this i mean he's a terrorist i mean basically oh, straight really, I mean, up straight yeah. up a terrorist, no doubt about it. The, the entire story is from the side of the antagonist trying to destroy our civilization is <laughs> what, it's, what it's telling it's so crazy
0: yeah i it i really, i also love to kind of how like even though he's killing people and he's crushing their heads and stuff like that oh, God. he's also kind of all cuz in that panel underwater when there's his mother when she's like congratulations my son you have made a good beginning in our war of revenge and he goes why mother He's <laughs> like a little bachelor, a little guy. He's like kicking the dirt off. Oh, thanks, my I appreciate it. Yeah. I did crush that guy's skull. His helmet filled with blood and everything. Like, it's just,
1: like, whoa. Well, he thought it was robots at first. Yeah. And then when he pulls off the helmets, he's like, oh, they are people I murdered. Oh, murder.
0: look at that. Oh, I, good thing I checked. Yeah. It is It is very, much like the Burgos thing, there were a page, it's not as bad as the Burgos human torture story, but there's pages here where, man, this gets wordy. Sure. Oh my lord, the, the, the page that ends with so Namor, the avenging sun, faces the surface men of the world. That has like a billion words on it. And again, you realize this was printed on the cruddiest, cheapest paper available. I can't imagine how hard it was this bigger. must have been to – they were a little bigger. They weren't that bigger, that much well, bigger.
1: Golden but, Age comics, are st- this thing is you know, substantially larger than a modern-day
0: comic. I don't know substantially. I just think it would be hard to to read just because that's a lot of words to put on newsprint. But then at least in some of the later pages, like they dispense with that where he goes like the action, like where yes. there's actual action sequences, um, the page where he punches that guy in the door – and then he he jives after the cop and he I love when he, <laughs> there's the one cop is chasing after Dorma and and uh, he grabs the cop and he literally just throws him into the ocean. She's <laughs> like, Namor, look and he just like hurls the guy like twenty miles into the water, like that guy's
1: dead. That guy's totally <laughs> dead. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, he also throws the guy down the stairs. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's pretty vicious here. And, and also, how many cousins does Namor have, by the way? Because does, you know, isn't Namorita and Namora and all these other people his cousin too? I think so.
0: Hmm. Well, he no, got to expand the world. <laughs>
1: I guess so. Cuz he keeps killing everybody else. Yeah, um it, it felt like when I, I read this thing also panel to panel, which by the way you mentioned panels, it's funny. Some of these panels are entirely a block of text with no image, like the one where the mom's telling the story of how right, she right. basically, you know, seduced the the white man. <laughs> um it, it, one one panel is just entirely text But anyway, when I read this thing panel by panel It felt like the story just kept going forever And then now I guess I step back And I realize there's, there's pretty much three major scenes There's the scene in the beginning where he fights the guys At, at the shipwreck And then there's the scene where he's with the The, the Oh, Great One, the Lord, I don't know, the weird creature thing, I don't know, like an underwater tick, he's this weird big creature that is, it rules them, who looks nothing like Namor, so it's very strange, uh, and then the thing in the lighthouse, so really I guess there is a, a three sort of scene at story, but it's, um just feels like it kept going, I don't know, am I the only one there who felt like, like when he's dealing with the, the, air, the airplane and stuff like that, I'm like, where's this going?
0: It it is – it has a um, movie serial feeling to it uh, Mm. that is all – like it's just this thing and then this other crazy thing happens and then this other thing happens. I I mean I have to admit the final panel that ends with him literally declaring war against white men, that just makes you go, wow. And it reminds me a little bit of – like – OK. Are you familiar with the Hayes Code? Do you know what that is? was sounds familiar okay when they movies in the in the twenties and the thirties were not regulated in any right. way they just put them out, and that 's how you can get you got some really crazy stuff, and then it was later on this real spoil sport. Uh, guy in the government, I, I forget his name. It wasn't Hayes, it was something else. But he decided, well, you know, like movies are bad for the American populace. They're full of filth and murder and lavishness, lasciviousness, and all this other kind of stuff. So was they, his name
1: Frederick Wortham? Yeah,
0: really. So they, well, that's what I'm getting at. They established <laughs> yep. this, this, hey, the, this Joseph Breen, that was his name. He was the Breen office. And they established the Hayes Code to where every movie, every movie, Had to be subjected to this code. And that's why movies all of a sudden stopped being a little crazy. In fact, you see some horror movies from the late 20s and early 30s. They're really transgressive because Mm. there wasn't anybody telling them not to do this stuff. They just did it. And then movies kind of got a lot more sedate after that or a lot more subtle because they had to because they knew the government was watching. This story feels like what comic books were like before they knew anybody was really paying attention.
1: Yeah, Because, again, okay. th-
0: this is our hero, and he is just straight up murdering people left and right. And he is de- he, He's murdering
1: our own people. <laughs>
0: he's murdering our own people. I mean he's saying, I'm declaring war on the white man. Well, who the hell do you think is reading this comic book? Right. So this is what this feels like. Now, of course, it would only take a very short period of time where we got into the war, and then they, they converted all these characters into total patriots yeah, uh, you know, but but these early ones, man, you really are like this. This is pretty out there stuff, and you have to figure that when they were doing this, they didn't know anybody was really paying attention. They didn't probably figure this was going to sell in the millions and run for ten years. They had no idea.
1: It's sort of like before the government got involved with the podcast uh, code of ethics as well. Yeah, <laughs> we, we uh, should subscribe to that. Exactly. Uh, I, I, one other thing I forgot to mention, by the way, about the coloring is I mentioned how he's blue and green and all that. It, that is one of the things I found kind of interesting is, is, you know, when you go underwater, color begins to disappear. You know, like red disappears, turns to black and things like that. So when they show Namor underwater and he's blue and green, it's not that he's colored actually blue or green. They're showing you the, the, the absence of the color spectrum because when he comes up on the surface, he's regular, uh, you know, Caucasian color. So I did find that sort of interesting that they thought it through enough to do that sort of coloring.
0: Yeah, it's, a very, it's very strange. Very, 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 very strange.
1: So I know I took a little side uh, side tangent there, but yes, it's very subversive, and um, I don't know who they thought their target market was too, because you know no one was reading this going, yeah, I feel bad for those mer people. Stand up, you know, unless it's I guess uh, an allegory for. Um, A subject, a a, a populace that's been, you know, subjugated or something. Maybe, maybe it was a World War II allegory, where for Europe, where you know, some country was being subjugated, and they felt like they were telling a story on their behalf. Maybe I I would love to know.
0: Would love to know. Digging too deep? I don't know. Maybe I would love to know what Bill Everett was was thinking. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's interviews with him and stuff. I could dig those up. But yeah, this is. It really is very. This is not what I expected. Uh, yeah. At all. At all. Right. I expected an Aquaman
1: clone. Is what I. Yeah,
0: kind of. But, well, I also figure I knew, you know, I, I, I don't know. The stuff I knew from Namor was the 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 G.I. guy, you know, the Patriot guy. And, and mm-hmm. now he's vicious because he's seen those those wonderful Alex Schomburg covers where Captain America, Human Torch and Submariner are just murdering Nazis left and right, which, again, perfectly fine. But it's just, <laughs> that's what I expected. As opposed to this, which is more like, no, I hate everybody. I mean, this this character would never team up with Captain America and the Human Torch. This guy oh, never? Is, no. Absolutely. He's totally not interested in that. So it was interesting how quickly they you know enveloped him into something a little more palatable. So uh, it is worth mentioning, uh, you, like we talked about on the Human Torch episode, like how instantly popular this was. Mm-hmm. Um, Namor ran in Marvel Mystery Comics, which is, again, as you mentioned, became – this is – what this book became as of number two, he ran in every issue all the way through number 91. Wow. So that's a hell of a run. And he also appeared in the all winners book. I love mm-hmm. that you could call your team the all winner squad. I think we should call ourselves that. Um, so he <laughs> ran in the all winner squad book, which was a quarterly and he had his solo comic, which ran from 1941 to 1949. So it, it, there were, that, that means that for occasionally Namor was appearing in three comics in a month, which is unbelievable. Aquaman didn't even get a cover until 1959. (laughs) Uh and then even then it took the Justice League to help him do it. But Namor was headlining two comics plus a quarterly. Uh and again, much like you mentioned, uh, he returned briefly in nineteen fifty four when they sort of brought back the Marvel superheroes as basically commie busters. That only lasted a couple of months. And then yeah. he laid uh, dormant again until Stanley brought it back in Fantastic Four number four. I always got the sense that Name that um, Stan really had a, a crush on Namor. I feel like He really. I mean, I mean, he brought back the Human Torch. He brought back Captain America. He brought back Namor. So it wasn't like he was picking favorites. But it just. I don't know. I think by making Namor quasi sympathetic in Fantastic Four, and the fact that they always used him as the you know Sue Storm kind of had a crush on him, Mm -hmm. I always feel like Stan kind of liked Namor on some level.
1: It could be. It was very, very creative and very, very bold to make him a bad guy that you rooted for quite frequently right. you know I, I mean he was still a protagonist quite often but he was still a bad guy so that was a very creative way to do that right
0: uh bill everett did a lot of a lot of comics work for marvel and for centaur a publisher I'm not familiar with he has one dc credit a, and some issue of all american war stories or something because i always wonder how you do one and then, okay. then, then never again. Uh, he died in 1973. His final uh, comic book art credit is the uh, was the Penciler in Supervillain Team-Up number 1, which featured Dr. Doom and Submariner. Which ran. Hey, in, I've what? read that. There you go. Which ran in 1975, so it was published uh, posthumously. Um, Supervillain Team-Up is such a hard book to write because, of course, you kind of have to have a protagonist versus the villain. So they were constantly using Namor. Who's hmm. sort of a villain but sort of not because otherwise you really can't do a supervillain team up because there's just two bad
1: guys doing evil stuff. Well, it was um, a lot. if I, if I recall correctly, there's a lot of Red Skull, Doctor Doom, Magneto, and Namor is what I seem to recall big, in big that book.
0: Headliner, guys. Uh, my favorite Namor story, uh, I was familiar with him probably from Rampage and Hulk number five. Uh, hmm. Which I did. Uh, I talked about as an episode of Mountain Comics with Michael Bailey. Oh, um, that was
1: the that black cover, that the, amazing cover, yeah, right? that
0: giant green Hulk face mm-hmm. with Namor sitting there. I don't know if that was my first Namor comic, but it's from 1977. I would have been six, so it was hmm. probably pretty early on. And one of the, the stark differences between Namor and Aquaman—not to keep bringing up this comparison, but we are the Fire and Water Podcast Network—is of course <laughs> in the uh, until Jeff Johns. Aquaman was never that much of a powerhouse in the DCU. He was strong, but not that strong. But in but in Marvel, Namor is like top tier, and I, that always under, was underscored in that issue of Rampaging Hulk, where he fights the Hulk to a standstill. I mean, mm. he, he he knocks the crap out of the Hulk. He doesn't win the fight, but he's he can fight the Hulk for twenty pages and not get crushed. So that's how strong Namor is. And I will say, just to be completely fair. When they did the DC versus Marvel miniseries yeah. and they had Aquaman beat Namor, I was like, no, no, right. that's not happening. I love – I, I don't – my bona fides for Aquaman do not need to be proven at this point. But I'm like, let's be fair. Namor – Aquaman could do the all he wants. Namor's going to pick Aquaman up and throw him to the moon. You know? Yeah. Just, just come on.
1: Aquaman beat him by dropping a whale on him. Yeah. No. Now, to be fair, that that battle was not decided by vote. That was one that the writers got to decide. Right. Uh, and Peter David was writing that particular installment of DC versus Marvel, and he was writing the Aquaman comic book at the time. Yeah. So. A little bit of a favoritism.
0: So <laughs> yeah. it's fine. Uh, but but yeah, Namor is always one of the big Marvel powerhouses, and they they he's well, been you know I mean he's never been a huge seller.
1: Um, I was going to, before, before you step away from the strength thing, I just want to say, they even say in this intro, if I remember right, this issue, don't they say he has the strength of a thousand men? I want to say in here a couple yes, times. Yeah, I think they do, yeah. Yeah, so they established it right from the first story that he's crazy strong. Yeah, uh,
0: and right, and once you, once you, Stan Lee gets his hands on him, then he really, really ramps it up, and, and you know, I mean, he was part of the Defenders, mm-hmm. uh, he was a big member of that team, and like I said, he's never been a huge seller, like Aquaman, never been a huge seller, he's had his moments. Uh, his final issue of his original sixty series was written by Steve Skees, just like Aquaman's final issue, uh, and there's there's some crossover there, which most people know about. It, but we will get to at some point uh, on this that's show. That's right. Um, and then he "You mentioned the John Byrne series, and he had a mini series. so he's he's one of these characters that's never not like a Spider-Man or Fantastic Four. Where he runs forever, but every so often they dust him off and they and they use him. There was a brief um,
1: yes." Well, I was just going to say, you know, in, in more recent years, and you may not know this because I know you don't keep up with a lot of current Marvel, he was identified as a mutant eventually. I did know that, yes. Yep. And he was a member of the X Men for a long time. Oh, that I did ve- not know. <laughs> yeah. He was very tied in with the X Men universe for a long time. He was Marvel's first mutant, in fact, is what he's called.
0: Huh. Okay. Wow. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, the one, of course, Namor did appear in the Marvel 60s cartoon. Uh, he had his own theme and everything, and he did appear in the Fantastic Four cartoon. So he's made some – and there, I don't know if until like Marvel Legends or whatever, until there was ever like a Namor action figure. I don't think he ever really got that popular. You could make a Mego Namor doll by simply getting your Spock doll and taking all his clothes off. Because he had the pointed ears and the haircut. I mean you could just put him in some green trunks and you've got your custom-made Namor. I think Chris Franklin even did that once. I think he told oh, me geez. that he did that, which is very imaginative because you're like, hey, I need a Namor to fight my Hulk, and there you go. will just buy a second Spock.
1: Um, you know, you just made me think. Of I was just wondering. You know what? Namor? Okay. Uh, I just want to mention one of Namor's stranger feats has always been his wings on his feet. Yes. And, yes, they are present here in his very first story. I see him right here. That's (laughs) right.
0: Uh, He had wings on Cap's head and wings on Namor's feet. Uh, (laughs) The the one one detail I really do want to get to, uh, which is very strange, was there was a brief flirtation with a Namor movie back when Marvel was selling off its properties to anybody that had a check. Oh, okay. Uh, in the far-flung days before the MCU. And there was talk – I remember seeing this in Amazing Heroes magazine back – that's how long ago it was. But the director, Philip Kaufman, was working on a, a Submariner movie. Now, Philip Kaufman hmm. uh, is a pretty good director. He directed the right stuff about the uh, Apollo oh, wow. 7 astronauts. He directed the, the 70s remake of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right very idiosyncratic, eclectic director. None of his films have anything to do with any of his other films. I can't imagine what about why he would have been attached to direct the Namor movie, but apparently the problem was when they were working on this, which was like in the 80s, they didn't know how to crack the water thing. They were just like, well, Mm -hmm. how are you going to make this movie? Now, of course, it took James Wan uh, in 2018, to just say, look, they just talk underwater. Okay, we have computers; they talk underwater. That's it. But I, I can imagine trying to do this in like 1987. You would have been like, how are we going? This is going. What is this going to look like? Man from Atlantis. You know, like it's going to It
1: look like Waterworld, right? Or yeah, look, yeah.
0: So it never really went anywhere. And I, I presumably, I guess Namor, like all the other Marvel characters, is back in the MC, is back in the fold under Disney. So maybe they'll with, we'll see with him Fox coming
1: over. It should be, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm. I have no idea. I would bet. My hunch is that he was sold along with the FF rights. That he's like sure. an FF character. But now that FF is back under Disney's banner, uh, so maybe someday we will see Namor in a movie. I don't know.
1: That would be interesting. It, um, I imagine he was probably slated for some stuff. For quite a while, but now with Aquaman, yeah, yep. <laughs> far exceeding anyone's expectations. Uh, I think they'd be a little hard pressed to do them for a while. It'd be a little bit too much, like, eh, it looks like some bandwagon jumping. So maybe we shouldn't do that.
0: Yeah, you could do them as a side guy. You know, I mean, you could bring him You could have a little appearance and sort of tease it and be like, oh, you know, if we want to do more with this, we can. But yeah, I, I don't see a Namor movie happening anytime,
1: anytime soon. <laughs> what a world we live in, where. Aquaman is such a success, other people take a step back and go, well, <laughs> you know, we don't want to look like we're copying Aquaman because he's too popular. Uh, I love it. I love what world we're living in here. So no uh,
0: so I think that's going to do it, I guess, for this, yeah. this story. It's very, very unusual, and I'm, I'm very thankful to Ryan whose idea this whole week was – to introduce this to us, because I never would have read this on my own. And so I'm really glad I did it. Certainly, I mean, look, any comic book story that ends with a guy, you know, pledging vengeance against the white man, I'm all for that. I'm totally for that. So <laughs> uh, I'm on board with Namor's quest at this point. Uh, him and him and Gritty, uh, they are the, the heroes we need for a, a troubled age. Oh, my God. all right, folks Well on that note
1: Thank you for listening We sincerely appreciate it Yes
0: thanks for listening folks So be sure to tune in tomorrow To the Fire and Water Podcast Network As the Supermates Chris and Cindy Franklin Present another exciting tale From the first issue of Marvel Comics A story called The Masked Raider And I guarantee Cindy will love it And remember (laughs) (laughs) And remember A marvelous anniversary continues All week right here On the FW Presents feed In the meantime Please feel free to leave comments about this installment at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And there you can check out the gallery post, which will feature images from this story. So yep. I guess uh, that is going to do it. So until All right. uh, next time. Fan the flame. Ride the wave. And most importantly, and excelsior. excelsior. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. <laughs> and the noble of of the your neighbor of Atlantis is the Prince of the
1: The Battle of the Atlantic continues. U-boats lurk in the vast waters, preparing to cut our lifelines at every opportunity. German planes and U-boats attacked one of our convoys of over 30 ships. With a ringside seat on one of our destroyers was an amateur cameraman, who secured short flashes of the U-boats in the thick of the trouble they asked for. At this moment, the U-131 has taken a jab from a depth charge. They've all been hit, and in these three shots, you'll see two of them in the last throws before their final dives to the bottom of the sea. blobs in the water are survivors from the U-boats in the very soup in which they had hoped to see British sailors. So let's not waste sympathy on them.